Coming up in this podcast, Lithium's $1 billion plus expansion, Iron Ore Revival Continues, Charlie Bass, Digital Health, Brendan Gore, and our oil and gas feature reveals 15 projects. Welcome to Mark My Words, the weekly podcast from Business News, with Mark Pownall and Mark Beyer discussing the important business news and data stories from Western Australia. Welcome to our weekly podcast and welcome Mark Beyer. Uh, firstly, Lithium again. <laughs> Two big expansions announced, uh, and they amount to more than $1 billion in projects in that, in that sector. Is it starting to deliver on its promise? Uh, look, Lithium is turning into a very significant part of uh, business here in Western Australia. The big news during the past week was that Talison Lithium, that's the company that has the big green bushes mine in the southwest, they've improved, approved yet another expansion, um, another $500-odd million. Um, so they're, they're currently doubling production. They're going to add another 500,000 tonnes to their output which in turn will feed into uh, more processing of the lithium. Um, the two owners, Tianchi and Albemarle, both building refineries or planning refineries. So, yeah, it just keeps on rolling. And then the other one... Were they, were they sort of a little bit, you know, in dispute or something? Have they, have they sort of settled their differences there? Their dispute is with Global Advanced Metals. Right, OK. This which is, is the, the company that has the tantalum rights at the Greenbushes mine. Yeah. And their concern is that the lithium expansion will compromise what they want to do with the tantalum deposits. Gotcha. So that's due to go to the Supreme Court. So that's sort of hanging over the the heads of the people operating down there. Gotcha. But Talison's approach is, well, look, we're just going ahead anyway, and we think we can deal with that. Gotcha. Okay. And then the other one up in the Pilbara, Mineral Resources. They've disclosed some more details about what they're doing. Um, similar story, $600-odd million. So big investments going on in the lithium industry. Yeah, and look, of course, the scale of it isn't the same as iron ore, but it's uh, it's the kind of the birth of a new industry. There's quite a lot, and, 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 it's, and it's significant, and also a lot of it, not so much that mineral resources stuff, but a lot of it's close to Perth, which is, you know, kind of it that gives a different uh, context to it, I think, too. Um, now, Mark, uh, in, and in iron ore, I think mineral resources features again, and, and again, good news abounds there. Well, Chris Ellison is um, building his reputation as the uh, uh, never-ending dealmaker, um, always coming up with surprises. Um, his latest one is a deal with Brockman Mining. So it's a, it's a listed company, but it's controlled out of China. They've got the Marilana deposit, which is they describe it as the largest undeveloped iron ore deposit outside the big three mining companies up in the Pilbara. Now, classic problem, the Marilana deposit is a a stranded deposit. There are no railways running nearby. So they've jumped into bed with Chris Ellison and his company Mineral Resources, which has a very ambitious plan to build a lightweight railway. Mm. So currently they send their ore by truck down to Port Hedland. Um, The big miners have their heavy railways, which are extraordinarily expensive to build. So Mineral Resources has come up with this very novel idea, essentially building a railway line on top of a whole series of uh, concrete pillars, um, which they say will be a lot cheaper, a lot more expensive, Um, still about $1.5 billion to build this. And Marilana will deliver the iron ore they need. Hmm. So... Their aim is to be producing 20 to 30 million tonnes of iron ore. Um, One other very big proviso on this, 
all based on building a new shipping berth at Port Hedland. Yeah, gotcha. Which ties into that controversy we've discussed around Atlas Iron and the development rights in what is already a very congested harbour at Port Hedland. Um, but this is a really um, a fascinating deal. It also has big implications for some other people. Um, there's a group called BBI. Um, they've been working for years on a brand new port at Balabala. So this is seen. This was seen. This is a six billion dollar project. Um, now, B- where's Balabala? Is that so, that's between Port Hedland and and Dampier? Is that's it? correct. Yeah. This so. isn't the one that was a that was uh, connected to the Aquila Resources plan at all. Was that's it? that's another one again. It's a different one. That's Sorry, one. That's okay, right. Okay. I didn't yeah. think Balabala rang a bell for me, but yeah. Go on, so, so um, it's privately owned. There's a, a New Zealand. The Todd family from New Zealand is the major um, oh, yeah, shareholder yeah. in it. Yeah, um, I remember. But, you know, this project has been sort of knocking around for quite a few years. They're still working away at it. But they'd been hoping to use the Marilana mine as their foundation customer. Uh-huh. So it would appear that um, the deal with Chris Ellison is a big setback for this alternative. Cut, cut their lunch a little bit. Yeah. So, um, you know, some, some fascinating shifts up there in the Pilbara. And obviously there's been some other big news uh, with... Uh, the latest at BHP, and we're still waiting for Rio. Is that right? That's right. So BHP has started construction on South Flank. Yep. So that's their next big mine. And, um, and of course, Fortescue is doing their Elowana project. And, and now they've also been working away on a magnetite project called Iron Bridge. Mm. Um, and Fortescue are saying that they're aiming to make a decision on that by the end of the year. Right. So potentially another development. Um, and then, yeah, Rio is doing more studies on their Kodaitari mine, and we all assume that'll get signed off pretty soon as well. You'd think so. You wouldn't think they'd let BHP get the jump on them. So um, Iron Ore is um, back with a vengeance, yep. and uh, all these expansion projects, and all happening around the same time. Mm-hmm. So as we've discussed before, there's going to be a few uh, pressure points up there in the Pilbara with getting people and equipment and so on yep. um, up there for all of these construction projects. No. No, we have talked about it already, but uh, again, having more and more of those discussions around skill shortages, the pluses and the minuses, yeah, accommodation and that kind of stuff, and there's a bit of unemployment, so there's a bit of available labour, and if people want to come and live here, it's a bit more affordable, but less reasons to come. Uh, you know, more jobs in the East Coast and tougher to get a, anything. I mean, you know, getting visas in has got a lot tougher. Um, Now, Mark, uh, speaking of iron ore, we had Charlie Bass, one of the founders of Aquila Resources, as our guest during the week at our third success and leadership breakfast for this year. Um, What did you think of that story? Uh, Look, Charlie's got an amazing story. And what I found really fascinating is the way that he's combined his investments in the mining industry with a lifelong interest in technology technology. in many different ways. You know, in the mid-70s, he was using computing with his mining work. Yeah. And he's sort of he's blended the two ever since. So great success in the mining field. Um, Eagle Mining was a gold success story, got taken over. And then Aquila Resources, um, an iron ore developer, uh, got taken out by Baosteel, the big Chinese group. Um, in both cases, um, looking back, they were beautifully timed takeovers. Um, both hostile takeovers, but on reflection, um, hmm. 
Charlie and his partner Tony Polly did extremely well selling out of both those industries at top of the market. Yeah. And so one of his big ventures since selling out of Aquila is setting up in Netherlands. He's got his Centre for Entrepreneurial Research and Innovation. So it's all around this theme of trying to get a bit more diversification into the WA economy. Yeah. And so Seri essentially works with people in universities, um, people who are researchers, helps them to commercially develop the ideas that they've come up with. Yeah. And, I mean, Charlie sort of suggested a range of industries where he sees a lot of potential. Um, medicine was one of them, um, aquaculture, um, even the arts, um, power, cybersecurity, so um, agriculture. So these are areas where there's a lot of research and other development activity happening in Western Australia. He's trying to help us go to the next level so that we can actually build industries and build something really sustainable. Yeah. And so, look, I, I actually really enjoyed talking to him, you know, well, I got to do the interview, uh, talking to him about his, ne- his his latest venture as well. So back in mining, which I think is, uh, I mean, he's still doing Seri and his philanthropy, but the fact that he's got back in mining is, is a big signal, I think, you know. and um, But he's doing it in Arizona and it's copper gold. And it's just a fascinating story where, uh, you know, he's found these old copper gold diggings all held in these mountains near Phoenix, all held by little family, the leases all held by families all over the place, and he's consolidated, and he spent quite a lot of time consolidating, and he said one of the leases was there was no will uh, from whoever had owned it, and there were ten families or that he had to go and chase down, sort of, you know, ten descendants he had to find and get every one of them to sign off on the sale of this thing, and I just, I love that story, and I don't know, did you see his watch? Did you get to see his watch up close, Mark? I didn't have a close look at it, but no. I remember it was a great <laughs> story he was telling. And that watch, he's got this bling, which has been made by uh, someone in, the, in, in America in that sort of cowboy fashion. So it's a big, gaudy watch with uh, some of the minerals that he's dug from the early uh, scratchings around that area you know, shined up and inset into the into the wristband, and it's hilarious. I mean, it's, and he says he uses that as his, you know, part of his presentation pack is to say, well, here are the stones, rather than pulling out some rocks and putting them on the desk. I just, it was one, of, it was, I just really enjoyed that one so much. And uh, one of the colourful characters, and I think for you and I, he was really behind the scenes until actually Aquila was sold, right? He was a hard guy to reach. And now he's, you're starting to, you know, get this guy who, get out there because I think Seri is something that he's got to get out and sell and talk about. And now uh, Eagle Mountain Mining. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, he's very good at it. So interesting. And again, I will say, you're right, go back to that late 80, uh, late 70s and he was literally doing big data with mainframes before anyone else was really doing it. And, I mean, he said accidentally, just because he seemed to know a little bit of He'd done a little bit of study around computers. Suddenly, he was the guy thrown in by the the firm he was working for. I think it was Amax, who were out here working with Newmont, um, helping them use software to better do their mining up in the Pilbara. That's in the late 70s. You know, all stuff we think is very modern now, don't we? And I think, too, reflecting as well, best known, I guess, for the big success of Aquila Resources and Mm. the amount of money that got made from that, but he's been in a lot of ventures over the years. And like any entrepreneur, some have been very successful, some not so, some failed. Yeah. But, you know, he's tried lots of different things. And he's still out there with Seri, 
supporting lots of people. So, no, I totally agree. Uh, now, of course, uh, Charlie's interest is uh, in helping scientists commercialise their research with this Seri thing, and that, I think that's quite a neat segue to your story on digital health projects this week. There was a really interesting expo held down at uh, Beaumont on the Point, the uh, um, convention space down near the causeway there. It's part of the state government's um, sustainable health review. Sounds a bit dry, but the whole focus of it was about what can new technology do to make the health system more efficient, cut costs, improve um, patient care, etc. So there was about 20 different companies um, with displays down there just showcasing all the things they can do. Most of them were Western Australian. Some of them are little app developers, but some of them were really exciting. So Silver Chain is a group that has invested a lot in this space. And so it's all around, I guess, this theme of digital health or telehealth. So about um, looking after people outside of hospitals. So they'll send out their nurses. Um, they've got the uh, like the 3D um, goggles, if you like. Yep. Um, so there can be a doctor sitting back in a hospital who can actually see the patient through, through the, the goggles right. being worn by the nurse at the patient's home. Yeah. Absolutely amazing stuff. Um, they're creating a 3D hologram. So effectively the patient can see the doctor. They can see the 3D hologram yep. um, in their room. Um, and then there's the, the capacity to um, hook up the patient so their, their condition can be monitored remotely um, all of the time. Um, another one, uh, Kimo at Home. So they're a, a Rising Stars winner from previous years. So that's about uh, giving people treatment in their home uh, when they're suffering uh, from cancer um, rather than having to go into a clinic or a hospital every day. So two examples. There were many others down there. I think it's a really exciting area. You know, Perth is renowned for its research in this space. You know, out at QE2, there's all those sort of research institutes out there associated yeah. with the universities and the hospitals doing lots of amazing work. And I think there's a big opportunity here to turn this into something bigger. And one example, I caught up with the folks from Cisco, you know, global technology company, uh, doing a lot of work in this space. And they were talking about some of the things that they're, they're seeing around the world. And the one example I found most fascinating, there's a newly built hospital, quote unquote, in St. Louis, Missouri. It's a four-story hospital. It's got about 700 doctors and nurses and support staff in there. No patients in that building. Yeah, it's set up specifically for telehealth purposes. So those 700 staff provide the specialist support for other people all around the country, potentially around the world. Mm. So they're doing the specialist diagnosis but using modern technology and doing it in a way that they believe is far more efficient than getting people into traditional hospitals. So, yeah, I thought it's a it's an area where we're going to see a lot of change. No, great. And look, you know, Mark, I know that uh, we get a bit fixated on on uh, that we don't have we've got too much mining and not enough of this other stuff and it's and I and I always disagree with that I think we've got plenty of this other stuff it just gets a bit hidden below mining because we get overwhelmed by that um, and also I think one of the things we forget is especially in health to be a leader in health and the reason we're a leader in health research 
is because we've had a very sophisticated health sector here for a long time. And the reason we have that is because we're a rich country and we're a rich state in a rich country. So this is one of the benefits of mining is that we're just wealthier. And when you're wealthier, you can afford to spend more on your health. And the more that you want to spend on health, the more opportunity there is for people to invest in innovation and technology there. So there's my theory. Okay. (laughs) Now, I'll throw back to you, Mark, because one of the things you do on a regular basis is catch up with prominent chief executives and company directors around town. And most recently, you caught up with Brendan Gore, who heads the property group, Pete. That's right. He's had a, a very interesting and quite different career path. Absolutely. And look, you know, uh, a little disclaimer here, Mark. Brendan and I actually were in the same class at the same school, right? So, uh, you know, and I've, so I've watched his career, but really from a distance because, you know, when we left school, as you often do, you, you part ways and, yeah, we shake hands and say hi. And I've done a couple of formal interviews over the years, but I've never really sat down and talked to him about how his life got to where it got to. Not to any, uh, you know, not to the degree that I did the other day. Uh, I thought just one of the fascinating things was he uh, he caught a, they had a boat, rowboat. He used to row to school in primary school, across the river, and you know they were, they were always late as a group of young boys, and it was hard work. And so they, you know, they pulled together and they bought a little outboard, and that got them across the river, and uh, and then eventually they were still late to school, so they bought a pulled together again a bit later and bought a bigger outboard. And I, I just loved that setting. I thought. Isn't that an interesting, uh, you know, kind of um, characteristic, you know, well, a learning curve for someone who might be in business and might be a bit entrepreneurial. And although he's a career executive in a big firm, they've still got to have that, you know, he's at the forefront of it and he's still got to have that little entrepreneurial side. So I I laughed at that. Um, And then I think the bit that I really uh, was very surprised at, he, he... he left school, he considered, he's a good sportsman, he considered sport and then decided that wasn't the thing and he didn't like uni after literally a few weeks. So he went off to the mines. And, I, you know, I think uh, at, at not even 18 years of age to go off and work in the mines is, uh, is you know, it, it's something. You think back and, and it wasn't, that's the late 80s, it wasn't really the thing to do. Uh, and he sort of talked about that. It, the mining industry was different in those days. It was much more rough and tumble. You didn't need a you know, a, a police check or, you know, there were literally no real safety rules. Uh, you know, there was, and he said that the, the shifts were extraordinary. I, I can't remember, but it was months and months on and then a week off. It was really different. Uh, and, and you know, I think that he talks about how it dawned on him at some point at four in the morning when he's trying to fix some piece of machinery with another guy who's in his 60s and thinking, oh, I don't want to be doing that when I'm 60, <laughs> was when he went, to try and study and he did study by correspondence and he talks about you know imagine you're out there in some donger or you know and, and, and sometimes out in the field and he was studying so a real self-made kind of guy uh, who then became a real careerist and he went through mining companies and ended up in property where he is today um, and I guess the other part of that is he's been running Pete since uh, 2011 I think he said so he's seen it all uh, he's seen the, the shock and the difficulties and he's had to diversify, he's had to pay down debt. And he said some of his mining experience really helped with that because mining's so much more short-term, property's so much long-term, but when property got hit by uh, all the dramas and the downturn they've had, 
he was able to use his mining skills to adjust. So, yeah, look, a good story, nice bloke. And uh, anyway, hopefully uh, others will get the same out of it as, as I did. Hope I've imparted as much as I could. And I like the fact that he did not have a conventional career path. As yeah. you said, dropped out of uni, went and worked up in the mines, did it tough. I think kept on working. When he eventually decided to go back and study, he kept on working and then worked in a range of industries before settling in property. Yeah. Um, so it's nice to see that it's not all that traditional sort of linear career path, that, that you can do it different ways if you're smart enough and determined enough, as he clearly is. Yeah, and look, and maybe one little nugget that, that for, the, for the listeners that isn't in the article, uh, chatting to him afterwards about, you know, about companies and, and you know, um, how you, you know, working on a board and things like that. And it was really interesting, that background, he is very, and, and from what he's done, he's very frank about what a board should be doing and what a board should be there to make money for the shareholders and make really good decisions. And he's quite cynical about some of the, um, the way people have been trying to, you know, um, pull, you know um, uh, the, the policies that are being pushed to make boards being these broad compositions rather than the right people, and I, I found that quite interesting. And I and I'm and I'm thinking as as we go through a process now over the next few years, I'm wondering if that kind of view isn't going to come more to the forefront. Um, might not get you on the board of the biggest companies in the country, where they can have a, a broad spectrum and still have the right people. I think, but it might. It, it might be pretty well needed in some mid-tier companies where they go, yeah, no, no, we just want to get on and be successful. So anyway, I'll just I hold that thought and we'll see what happens. Um, now, Mark, our special report this week is oil and gas, and we've found a host of projects underway or in the planning. Yeah, well, Matt McKenzie's pulled together a good feature. He's got about 15 or 16 oil and gas projects either underway um, or planned. Um, so a um, bit like iron ore. You know, there's a, a bit of a revival happening here. Um, the oil price has sort of picked up a bit. And so it's primarily the LNG projects. Um, you know, some of the ones we've talked about in, in previous podcasts, um, the Scarborough project that Woodside's working on, um, the Browse project, there's been some progress on that one. Um, the uh, Equus um, group, who've got a big gas field that they're looking to develop. So a lot of potential, and then these offshore fields, as they're developed, that'll require more investment with the LNG plants um, on the coast. Um, and the other one too, um, well, the Gorgon project, they're doing a sort of a stage two offshore development, um, but also onshore gas up in the Perth Basin. There's the, the Waitsia gas field that was subject of a, a big takeover battle early this year. So Mitsui was the winner there and they're continuing to evaluate um, development of that gas field. So, you know, some really encouraging signs. Um, a lot of work happening in the, the sort of the engineering and planning phases at the moment, and I think this will flow through um, to the construction side before too long. So a good, solid wrap-up there from Matt McKenzie. Yeah, no, brilliant. And, uh, you know, I guess in the back of my mind when we were talking about iron ore and you talked about... Uh, FMG and a magnetite project. I thought, hmm, there's there'll be a there'll be a, a bit more gas being sought for dom gas for the Pilbara, I presume, because that's what you need, don't you? Um, anyway, Mark, thank you very much. Is your team making the most of our BNIQ search engine? 
With tens of thousands of companies and people on nearly 100 industry lists, the BNIQ search engine is an important business development tool in WA. But no one knows it as well as we do. If you or your team want a demonstration on its benefits, just give us a call or contact us via our website. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Mark My Words with Mark Pownall and Mark Beyer from Business News. For more information, please go to businessnews.com.au forward slash podcasts. And to receive these regularly, search for Business News WA in iTunes or SoundCloud.